Good evening. I want to welcome everyone to our Bible study series. We're continuing in the series that we've been doing entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. And if you are following along in the notes, which by the way are all available through our website at new-life-ministries.org, you will also find uh, previous studies recordings should all be there. Um, We are in part three, and we've come to around page 28 in the notes, if you are following, and we are hoping to finish part three tonight, and this is a seven-part series that we are working on. Uh, We've been looking at the whole journey of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, and traveling all the way into Canaan, the promised land. Uh, There's much in the Old Testament about that whole process, and we have seen a number of New Testament scriptures that reveal to us that although this was true history, it really did happen, all the places mentioned, all the experiences really happened, There's a bigger picture that God is painting for us, and with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand it's a picture of our entire spiritual journey. We also begin in bondage. We saw that there's a slavery called the slavery of sin. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. So our starting point is very similar to the Israelites. We need to be delivered out of slavery, out of bondage. And we saw that there are several stages in that deliverance. The first stage came while they were still in Egypt. And after all of the miracles and signs and plagues that God brought on Egypt, it was by no coincidence or accident only through the blood of a sacrificial lamb that they were finally released from Pharaoh's grip and yoke of bondage. And that, of course, was the Passover lamb. And interestingly, we're coming up very soon on the Passover. And that is a time that the Jewish people were commanded to commemorate every year after that to remember the mighty miracle of God's deliverance, and to remember that it was only the blood of the Lamb that could bring them out from Pharaoh's bondage and slavery. And we also saw that in the New Testament, Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth and says, Now the true Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. That's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we have a Passover feast to celebrate. We don't need to kill a lamb. We don't need bitter herbs and unleavened bread. But there is a spiritual meaning behind each and every one of these steps in Israel's deliverance. And last time we began to look at the second step in their deliverance. They had come out of Egypt through the blood of the Lamb, but Egypt came after them 
as they began their journey into the wilderness, Pharaoh changed his mind. He got together all of his armies and his commanders and his chariots, and he pursued the Israelites up to the edge of the Red Sea. And the people of God were trapped. They were trapped by water in front, pharaohs coming from behind, and they were terrified. And they're now faced with a second, very different situation. In Egypt, they were set free simply by obeying God and applying the blood of the Passover lamb to their doorposts, and they were all released in that one single night. But now, they are in a different situation where Pharaoh has come to drag them back into slavery, take them back into Egypt. And they stood there at the shore of the Red Sea. The Bible says they were terrified. And Moses cries out to God on behalf of the people. And the Lord says two things which are very contradictory. First he says, stand still, and then he says, go forward. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then right after that he says, tell the people to move forward, to move on. And we're going to look specifically at that second part of their experience tonight, just recapping from what we saw last time in Exodus chapter 14. Basically, when Moses cried out to God, and God said, let the people stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, they had already been saved through the blood of the Lamb in Egypt, but they now need a second salvation. They need a second deliverance. Now, Egypt is coming after them. And if something doesn't happen, Egypt is going to take them right back to where they were, back into bondage, back into slavery. And there at the shore of the Red Sea, when God said, stand still and see the deliverance, see the salvation of God, God was going to graphically and visibly demonstrate something to the Israelites and also to the Egyptians that day. He was going to show his salvation. And it goes on to say, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to stand still. And we saw that basically God did everything. He divided the waters He confused the Egyptians with darkness. He fought against the Egyptians. He even tore the wheels off of their chariots and caused them to get stuck in the mud. God caused the waters to flow back over the Egyptians. And finally, the Israelites passed through on dry ground. Pharaoh and all of his armies were buried. They were drowned. They were destroyed in the waters that day. And we saw in a number of scriptures, we're not going to re-read the verses, but they're all available in the notes. 
we saw that this second experience of passing through the waters of the Red Sea, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, he even used a strange word to describe what happened to Israel in the waters of the Red Sea. He actually says they were baptized. And we saw that it's a clear picture for us in the New Testament of what happens when we obey the Lord in water baptism. It's a very powerful experience. It's not just a ceremony or some religious ritual that we go through. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And in the book of Acts, repeatedly, when the apostles preached the gospel, their message was all one message, repent and be baptized, and your sins will be forgiven. And in Romans chapter 6, we ended here last time, Paul was giving a lengthy teaching to the Roman believers who had already taken water baptism, but he's now explaining to them a little bit more deeply the significance of their baptism. And just as Pharaoh and his armies had to be drowned in the waters of the Red Sea, otherwise they were going to drag the Israelites back into bondage, so Paul says, we who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, we've been saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have yet another enemy. It's called the old man or the old self. And that old self wants to drag us back into our old life of sin. Our old friends, our old books, our old movies, our old music, our old way of life. And Paul teaches very clearly in Romans 6 that it's only in water baptism that that old man is buried. The old man has to be buried, and Paul says in Romans 6, I'll read these verses again, verse 3, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Verse 6 is a key verse here. For we know that our old self, or old man, was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Just as Jesus was crucified and then buried, Paul says we need to both be crucified and then buried. The old self was crucified with him when we repent and turn to Jesus Christ, but now the old man is buried in baptism. Let me read again these verses. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. 
So if you can get this picture in your mind, it's a tremendously powerful picture. Pharaoh and all of his armies came to take the Israelites right back into the slavery that they had been set free from through the blood of the Passover lamb. But if something didn't happen at the Red Sea, they were going right back into that bondage. And sadly, many Christians put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. They have a genuine born-again experience, but they get dragged right back into their old way of life, and they're never able to move forward in their Christian life. They're missing out on this second great experience that God wants to give them in water baptism where that old self is buried once and for all, buried with Christ, so that, and let me read these verses again, we will no longer be slaves to sin. No longer be slaves to sin. After the experience at the Red Sea, Israel was no longer going to be a slave in Egypt. It was over and done with. They actually saw the dead bodies of all the Egyptians on the shore, and they knew this is over. This is done. We're no longer going back to that place. And just as Israel saw, I want to emphasize that word saw, God said, stand still and see the salvation of your God. They saw the power of God at the Red Sea. And I believe, and we'll look at some verses in just a moment, I believe that when our faith in Christ is genuine and we respond in simple childlike faith and obedience by taking water baptism, God allows us to see his power begin to operate in our lives, giving us victory over sin that we could not conquer or overcome in our own strength. And just as Israel saw that power at the Red Sea, and after they saw that, two important things happened. We, we read this last time. They feared God, and they put their trust in Him. It, it elevated their reverence for God, and it elevated their faith in God after what they witnessed there at the Red Sea. Likewise, for you and me as followers of Christ, in the waters of baptism, we experience what Paul says, and I'm quoting, the operation of God. This is an operation of God's power that actually takes that old man, that old self, and buries him. And we are then resurrected together with Christ by the power of God to live and to walk in a totally new life, a life of freedom and a life of victory. <clears throat> Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, where we find that expression that Paul uses, the operation of God. Colossians 2 verse 12, and I'm going to read it first from the King James and then from the Amplified Version. Colossians 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, very similar to what Paul wrote in Romans 6. <coughs> Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him 
through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So, there's a faith that comes in the waters of baptism. Paul refers to it as faith of the operation of God. And what this operation is, it's actually the working or the power of God that does two things. It buries the old man and it resurrects us as a new creation to walk in newness of life. Now let me read the same verse in the Amplified, Colossians 2 and verse 12. Thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism, in which you were also raised with him to a new life through your faith in the working of God as displayed when he raised him up from the dead. Now, whether or not we can fully comprehend this is doubtful. It's a mysterious operation, a mysterious working of God. Nevertheless, it's very clear that something's happening in water baptism. There's, there's a working, there's an operation. God is doing something invisibly in the waters of baptism. And I think this clearly shows that water baptism is not just a ceremony. It's not even, as many churches teach, a public testimony of what has already taken place in the believer's life. It's more than that. It, it is a, a work, an operation of God inside that person who is being baptized. There's, there's a working of God. This is not some work that we're doing to earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. But a part of God's gracious provision for our complete salvation is water baptism. Water baptism is not man's idea. It's God's idea. And we'll see a little later tonight that it's actually called the counsel of God. Water baptism is a very important part of God's counsel, of his purpose. And it is certainly an integral part of the gospel. And as I mentioned, in the book of Acts, whenever they preached the gospel, they preached Christ, they preached repentance, they preached water baptism, and they preached receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They preached it all as one unified message. So, water baptism is a part of the gospel, and it's certainly an important and integral part of our salvation. Now, two things God told the Israelites that seem to be contradictory. Stand still and go forward. I think this is fascinating. They had to stand still in the sense they were not really doing any work. God wanted them to look to him in faith, trust in him to accomplish everything that they needed for their victory, for their deliverance, and for their salvation. However, they needed to obey God and move when he told them to move. So, water baptism is two things. 
It's a step of faith and it's a step of obedience. You find both things in those two expressions. Stand still in faith and then move on. Go forward as a step of obedience. Let me read again Exodus 14 verse 15. When they're still standing there at the shore of the Red Sea, right after God has told them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. King James says, tell them to go forward. Go forward. And a little later in the story, they did just that. Exodus 14:29 it says but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground very important words they went through the sea they moved they went through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left just as the keeping of the Passover in Egypt we saw was a step of faith. By faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea also. Let's read those two verses side by side. In Hebrews 11, verses 28 and 29. By faith, he, and in the context it's referring to Moses, by faith, Moses kept the Passover. You have to have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins to be forgiven. They had faith that if they took this blood and put it over their doors, they were going to be delivered. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Next verse. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Very important words. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. Water baptism is a step of faith. When we hear the gospel message, repent and be baptized, so that your sins can be forgiven, we're exercising both faith and obedience, when we actually get into the water and say, I believe this is something that God has ordained for my life, and something powerful is going to take place today as I am buried, immersed in these waters of baptism. Now here's an important point to ponder. We saw that basically the victory that the children of Israel experienced there at the Red Sea, it was all done by God. They did nothing at all. They, they didn't take out a sword. They didn't fight with the Egyptians. They didn't do anything. They stood still, and the Lord did everything for them. God parted the waters. God brought the waters back. God uh, brought darkness on the Egyptians. God messed with their chariots. God did everything. But think about this very carefully. Even though God was doing all those things, had the Israelites 
failed to obey this second order to march forward, they would have never been set free. If they had not stepped in, and as we just read in Hebrews, by faith passed through the Red Sea, if they had stood there and said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going in that water, we're not obeying Moses, and we're not obeying God either. We're staying put right here. We're going to keep standing still. If they had failed to obey God's order to march forward, either through unbelief or through rebellion, God's parting of the Red Sea would have been completely in vain. The Egyptians would have taken them captive and dragged them right back into Egypt. And the Red Sea would never have helped them one iota. They had to have faith, and they had to have obedience to act on that faith. So, by moving forward, they enabled God to do two things. To bring them safely through to the other side of the Red Sea, and to destroy Pharaoh and all of his chariots. And this took two things. It took them trusting in God, and it took them obeying this simple command. Go forward. Move on. So, I often teach that water baptism is really our first step of obedience forward. We've repented for all of our sins, but now we're starting to walk in newness of life. It's our first little baby step of obedience. And as I mentioned, in Romans 6, Paul's teaching the Romans more in depth about what really happens in water baptism. But they had already taken baptism. We don't have to understand all the mysteries of baptism. We just need to be simple and childlike in our faith and obey God. And I don't know, I never had a problem taking baptism, but I've had to deal with some folks over the years that argue and fight and want to debate and quarrel about whether or not they need to take water baptism. I'll be honest with you, I don't really understand that. I always had this uh, understanding, if God wants me to get wet and he's going to do something in the process, praise God, let's go for it. Why would I want to fight or resist something so simple as getting into the water and being immersed in Jesus' name to have my old life of sin buried with Christ so I can live in newness of life and begin to enjoy freedom and victory in my life. In Romans 6, after Paul taught them about baptism and the burial of the old man and all of that, he finally commends them for their obedience. Listen carefully to this verse. And I would recommend reading the entire 6th chapter of Romans to get all of the context. But in Romans 6.17, he writes the following, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You wholeheartedly obeyed. Obedience was a part of this step that they had taken of water baptism. And he commends them. You did it wholeheartedly. 
You didn't question it. You didn't argue or fight with it. You wholeheartedly embraced this teaching, this apostolic teaching of water baptism, and now you're reaping the benefits. You're free from sin. No longer will you be slaves to sin, he had told them. Now, look at another interesting verse. Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30. Luke 7, 29 and 30. It says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. How do we know that? Because they had been baptized by John. They acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized. John came preaching a baptism of repentance. And all those that listened to him and acknowledged, this guy is bringing us the way of the Lord. He's bringing us the counsel of God. All those that took baptism, they were affirming that. They acknowledged that God's way was right. But notice the next verse. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. That's powerful. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. How did they do that? Because they had not been baptized by John. One group acknowledged that God's way was right. How? By taking baptism. Another group rejected God's very purpose for their lives. How? They rejected baptism. Baptism is a very important doctrine. It's a very powerful experience. That's why there's so much written about it in the New Testament. And if there's anyone uh, participating in this Bible study, and you have never obeyed the Lord since coming to salvation and a born-again experience in Christ, I want to urge you, get with a pastor and make preparations soon to get into the waters. Be baptized so that you can be set free from that old man that wants to keep dragging you back into Egypt, wants to take, take, keep taking you back into that old way of life. Let me read again from Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Listen carefully to his words. When the people heard this, uh, Acts 2, starting at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Man, that's an open question. What shall we do? Peter had his answer already. Peter replied, Number one, repent. Number two, be baptized. Notice, right there at the top of the list, repent and be baptized. You want to know what to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then down in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. Those who accepted his message were baptized. 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, some people try to nitpick. Well, are you trying to say if I don't take baptism, I'm not saved? I'd rather not even argue about that. Let's look at it another way. Every time they presented baptism, it was an integral part of salvation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Repent and be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven. And those who accepted Peter's message, his answer to their question, what do we need to do? They responded very simply by taking baptism. What the Israelites experienced at the Red Sea, it was the beginning of a whole new walk of faith. They had tremendous victory that day when they came through the waters onto the other side of the Red Sea. It marked a new beginning in their whole walk with God. And they received a revelation that day. When they saw what happened at the Red Sea, they received a revelation that, and I'm quoting this, we'll see where it comes from in just a moment, the Lord is a warrior. I like that. The Lord is a warrior. Why? Because the Lord fought for them that day. And you and I need that revelation, because we have enemies. We have battles. And what they understood that day is the Lord is a warrior, and these enemies that are trying to drag us back into Egypt, they're not just our enemies. They are God's enemies. And that makes for a whole different picture when you begin to understand your enemies are not just your enemies. They're God's enemies also. God hates sin. God hates the devil. God hates darkness. And these things that we war with in our lives, if we can understand it, the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. And the Lord is a warrior. And man, oh man, for 400 years, it seemed like Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians were getting away with murder, the way they treated the Israelites. They abused them, they beat them, they mistreated them, they oppressed them, and all of those things we've talked about. And it seemed for 400 years that everything was okay. But let me tell you something. When God's hour comes, look out. Because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And man, did God get even with Egypt that day. And the Israelites saw that. They saw that the Lord is a warrior, and he was going to pay back these Egyptians for all of the harm they had done to God's people. And the other thing they understood, these enemies are not just our enemies. These are God's hated enemies. And because of that, the Lord fought that day for them. After passing through the waters of the Red Sea, we then come to Exodus chapter 15, where they had one glorious praise service. And basically, most of the chapter is just a song that Moses and the people sang to the Lord, celebrating the great victory that they experienced there in the waters of the Red Sea. Let's read part of it. 
starting in verse 1. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. I like verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. Now pause here for a minute. Study these words carefully. <clears throat> In the greatness of your majesty, God, you threw down those who opposed you. Well, that's not how the story reads. They were opposing the Israelites. But God takes these things very personally. These were his enemies. And because of the way they were treating his people, they were his enemies too. You threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. Notice that? God is hot. He's angry. And it has come time now for him to unleash his fury on Egypt. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble, like straw. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I love verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Man, oh man, they were on a mountaintop of victory here. If only they had kept this in their hearts and minds. But as we will see later on, sadly the Bible says they soon forgot all of this. And of course that got them into big trouble. But for now, they're praising God. They have a revelation that God is on their side. He's fighting their battles. The Lord is a warrior, and he is majestic in power. Let me encourage every one of us tonight. No weapon formed against us will prosper. 
I don't care how many millions of demons and giants and enemies mount their attack against us. The Lord is a warrior, and he will fight for his people. He will fight against his enemies. And God hates the devil. He hates sin. He hates lies. He hates homosexuality. He hates darkness. He hates atheism. He hates all these things that are battling and fighting against us. And we need to understand, he's a warrior, and he's going to fight our battles for us. They got that revelation there at the Red Sea. And I believe when, as a child of God, we may be a brand new believer, but when we get into the water and obey God in baptism, we get a revelation of God's power in our life, that he's going to begin to fight our battles for us, He's going to give us victory over addictions and enemies that we could not conquer in our own strength. And he will just blow on them like he blew on Pharaoh and his chariots. And the sea covered them. Completely destroyed them. I know in my own life, and I've heard many, many testimonies, people who had come to Christ but were still struggling with different sins and addictions, but after water baptism, God just took it away. Drinking, drug addiction, and other kinds of vices instantly, powerfully, miraculously set free by God. From that night onward, from the very night the children of Israel left Egypt, and then a few days later they had this experience at the Red Sea. They are no longer referred to as slaves, but they're referred to in the scriptures as God's armies. Notice that. They went from being slaves to being armies. And let me read back in Exodus 12, actually on the Passover night, is where you first find this change. Exodus 12, verse 51. And some of the translations may have the word divisions here in the King James and the New King James. It translates it more correctly as armies, and I'll comment on that in a minute. It came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. The Hebrew word literally refers to a group of soldiers. That's why it's sometimes translated divisions. But these are army divisions. He brought them out by their armies. They're no longer slaves now. These are soldiers. These are warriors. This is God's army that he's beginning to assemble as he brings them out of Egypt. <clears throat> Likewise, from water baptism onwards, the Christian begins to live a new life. And turning our attention back to Romans 6, there are a few other interesting things that Paul teaches them here as he's teaching them about water baptism. And he mentions there that after baptism, we begin to yield our members, our tongue, our eyes, our hands, our feet. 
we begin to yield our members to God as instruments of righteousness. That word instruments in the Greek is very interesting. It's the word that literally means offensive weapons of war. So it would actually be more correctly translated, yield your members, your arms, your legs, your feet, your eyes, yield your members to God as offensive weapons of war. What used to be used for sin and for evil, your hands, your feet, your legs, your eyes, are now going to be weapons, offensive weapons of war to be used against God's enemies. And just as the Israelites realized there at the Red Sea, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord fought for them. This was a battleground. And in water baptism and thereafter, we begin to understand, maybe we didn't sign up for it, but when we get saved, we're in the middle of a war. And we better learn real fast how to put on the whole armor of God and begin to yield our members to God as offensive weapons of war. Uh, let me read again from Romans 6, verse 4 again, and then we'll read verse 13. Verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice that. A new life from water baptism on. Now look at verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, and here's this word, as instruments as instruments or weapons of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments or offensive weapons of righteousness. Maybe we used to use our tongue to curse, to gossip, to tell lies. Now, God wants us to use our tongue to preach the gospel, to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe our feet used to take us to all kinds of bad places. Now, our feet are going to be beautiful on the mountains, carrying the good news of Christ to the nations. It's a, it's a total transformation of our life here, where the very members of our body go from being weapons of wickedness to weapons, literally, of righteousness. Now, in Exodus 14, uh, it's actually verse 30, if you want to look it up again, after the Israelites had crossed through on dry ground, they came to the other shore of the Red Sea. And by the way, I've heard the secular... Uh, Theologians and archaeologists and historians try to say that the part of the Red Sea where the Israelites crossed was just a shallow little pool. Because in the original Hebrew, 
the word for Red Sea is actually Sea of Reeds. So it must have been more like a little marshy place, maybe, you know, six, eight inches of water, and you could kind of tiptoe across. Well, you know, that might sound a little bit convincing at first until you go back and think about the whole story. If it was six inches of water, it would be very difficult for the waters to mount up as walls on either side and to completely drown Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians underneath a huge quantity of water. And it says back there in Exodus 15 again when they were singing about this, listen very carefully to the word of God. In verse 5, they sang, The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. That doesn't sound like a little marsh with six inches of water in it to me. This was a deep sea that they crossed, and it was a miracle. And that's why, from then on, in their songs of praise, they remembered how God parted the waters and brought them through on dry ground. All right, coming back to my point. This was a miracle. Crossing through the Red Sea, the Israelites are now standing on the other shore, and Exodus 14.30 reads as follows. Israel saw, notice that word saw again. Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. They saw God's power, they saw him working in the Red Sea, and they actually saw the ultimate proof, Egypt is dead. Egypt can no longer have any power over us. They saw them lying dead on the shore. In other words, from that moment, the Israelites were assured that they were never again going back to Egypt. They were never again going to be in slavery in Egypt. Once and for all, Egypt was a thing of the past. Similarly, and this is important, what Paul teaches in Romans 6 is not just a nice little water baptism class. He's teaching all of us who have been baptized how to exercise on a daily basis our faith in keeping that victory alive in our lives. As we look back to our experience in water baptism, we can also see, and I'm using that word figuratively, we can see our old sinful self dead and buried with Christ, and now... The exercise that Paul is teaching in Romans 6 is every day we need to reckon and consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Because the only way to truly be freed from sin is to be dead. You know, a person who's been an alcoholic all their life, once they're dead, you can put all the liquor you want under their nose. They're not going to be tempted. They're dead. A dead man can't be tempted with anything. And that's exactly what Paul teaches. Reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to God, 
assured now that sin and death have no more dominion over my life. In Romans 6, verse 11, and then verse 14, it says, In the same way, count, some other translations put consider or reckon, count yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master. So, every time they remembered that picture of all the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, it would reassure them, we're free. We're never going to be slaves in Egypt again. And Paul says, every time you and I remember we have been crucified and buried with Christ, raised by the power of God to live a new life, sin will no longer be our master. When the Israelites saw God's mighty power and the great victory that he had wrought upon all of their enemies, it says in Exodus 14.31, they put their trust in him. They believed in him. In other words, they received a whole new faith, a whole new confidence that the same God who had fought for them in the Red Sea was going to keep fighting for them now, in all of their battles, right through to the end, and safely lead them into the promised land. Remember, we're calling this series Out of Bondage into Abundance. We've now almost completed the first part of that equation. That's coming out. Now we want to begin to go in. But right there at the Red Sea they received a tremendous revelation and a tremendous confidence that they were going to need to keep going forward into the promised land. That is, God is going to fight all of our battles. The Lord is a warrior. Now, unfortunately, we're going to have to close here. Uh, we'll need just a little bit more time uh, in our next session to complete part three because there's another important part here and I don't want to race through it so we'll save it for next time and then we're going to move right into part four which is when Moses and the Israelites came to Mount Sinai and they saw the glory of God and fire and smoke and thunderings they heard and God gives them the law, and a lot of very significant things take place there at Mount Sinai, which of course is a picture for you and for me of the next great step in our salvation journey, which is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. More about that next time. Uh, let's stop here and close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a warrior. You're a mighty God. Your right hand is exalted. 
You're a powerful God. And Lord, you showed the children of Israel there in the waters of the Red Sea that you can deal with any enemy that tries to come against your purpose and plan for your people. And Lord, we affirm tonight, as your scriptures teach, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that the battle is not ours, but the battle is the Lord. And the God who fought for them at the Red Sea was the God who was going to keep fighting all of their battles, taking them all the way in to the promised land. And God, you're reassuring us that we can trust you, and you will never leave us, never forsake us. You'll take us through every situation victoriously as we keep our eyes fixed on you, standing still to see your salvation, but also being quick to move forward when you tell us to move. God, I pray that you would enable us to be like little children, trusting in you and also obeying your every command. God, bless this word to each and every one of us. We pray, O Father, that you would take us forward in our spiritual journey and equip us with everything that we need to enter in to that promised inheritance that you have prepared for each one of us. Bless us and make us a blessing now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.